Tonight, we would direct your attention in your Bibles to a section of Scripture found in Luke 11, uh, verses 1 through 13. This is found on page 1196, if you're using the Pew Bible this evening. We'll be reading a section from the Word of God from Luke 11, 1 through 13. After we read that, we'll also be referencing our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 45, and in your forums and prayers book, you can find Lord's Day 45 on page 252. Now, we come to the last subsection of the Heidelberg Catechism, as the Heidelberg Catechism summarizes the main teachings of Holy Scripture. Uh, we have looked in the first main section uh, upon how we come to know our sin and our misery. The second section, which is the manner of our deliverance, uh, dealt with the person of Jesus Christ and then also His work uh, by following through the steps of humiliation and exaltation. The third section of the Heidelberg Catechism, that section that deals with how we are to show forth thankfulness or gratitude to God for the great things that He has done, uh, has walked through uh, the Ten Commandments. And we come now to the final subsection that deals with uh, the biblical topic of prayer. And so we want to read from Luke 11, uh, verses 1 through 13. Now it came to pass as He that is, Jesus, was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Thus far for tonight, our reading from the Word of God. We then turn to Lord's Day 45, which has a number of questions, the first being 116, which asks, why do Christians need to pray? And the answer, because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us, and also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing Ask God for these gifts and thank Him for them. Question 117, how does God want us to pray so that He will listen to us? And the answer, first, we must pray from the heart. 
to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself to us in his word, asking for everything he has commanded us to ask of him. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. Question 118 then asks, what has God commanded us to ask of him? And the answer, everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. And then question 119 asks, what is this prayer? And the reference then is to the Lord's Prayer. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and especially I want to be focused tonight and in the upcoming weeks on the children of the congregation and the young people of the congregation. Prayer. Isn't it remarkable, boys and girls, that Jesus Christ prayed? That's what Luke 11 is really telling us. Now it came to pass as he was praying. There are many things that Jesus did that we cannot do. Jesus walked on water. We cannot walk on water. Jesus raised the dead to new life. We cannot raise the dead to new life. Jesus fed a multitude of thousands with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. You and I cannot feed thousands with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. Jesus prayed. And boys and girls and young people and all of us, you can pray. You can pray. Prayer, although not easy, because of our own sinful, natural tendencies, prayer is simple. There's a difference between something being easy and something being simple. Prayer is simple. And I hope to show you that tonight to encourage you. Maybe you're five years old. You can pray. Maybe you're ten years old. You can pray. Maybe you're 65 years old. You can pray. Prayer, it's not easy, but it is simple. And it's also necessary. Prayer is necessary because what prayer is, is just simply a holy conversation with our God. And I want to stress, as we go through tonight and also in the upcoming weeks, there's a difference between talking about praying and praying. And there's a difference between knowing about prayer and actually praying. 
my goal is not just simply to increase our knowledge about prayer. My goal is to perhaps increase our knowledge about prayer, but my goal even greater than that is that we might be more prayerful. And so I want to consider tonight in this opening Lord's Day on prayer this simple theme, the practice of prayer. Looking, first of all, at the reason for prayer. You might say, why should we pray? And then secondly, the criteria for prayer. How should we pray? And then thirdly, the objects in prayer, what we should pray for. And here again, boys and girls, this is simple. This isn't really complex. The practice of prayer, the reason for prayer, why? Why should I pray? Maybe I'm eight. Why should I, an eight-year-old, pray? And then the second thing we'll look at, the criteria for prayer. What do I need to pray? How do I pray? And then thirdly, the objects in prayer. What should I pray for? So first of all, then, the reason for prayer. Why pray? Well, we need to understand prayer in light of a relationship to God. We as covenant people, and when I say covenant, I don't, don't simply mean members of Covenant Reformed Church, although we are that, but as people who have a special relationship with the triune God. Based upon His grace, based upon His mercy, He has said to us, I will be your God and you will be my people. And because there is that relationship between us and Him, we ought to pray out of obedience when you pray. That's what Luke 11 verse 2 says. When you pray, so Jesus takes it as a given. And, and other scriptures also command us to pray. And, and this, this is where we need to begin at times by just simply being reminded that the triune God with whom we have a unique relationship says, when you pray. And if he says, when you pray, then we ought to pray. If he has been so good, so gracious, so compassionate to come down and establish a unique relationship of holy, sanctified friendship with us, and when he then says, when you pray, we ought to eagerly respond with obedience, and we ought to say, yes, we will pray, for you are our God. You are our Father. You are our Savior. You are our Comforter. Now, not just out of some legalistic, slave-like obedience, but there ought to be this note of obedience. Because sometimes, to be honest, we don't always feel like praying. Have you ever had that? You don't feel like praying. When you find yourself feeling like you don't want to pray, remind yourself, Jesus commands you to pray. When you pray. An obedient relationship that is also a loving relationship. I will be your God. 
behind that statement, there is an eternal love. God is your God. He has a unique relationship with you. And, and, and think about this. Boys and girls, God wants to talk with you. And God wants to hear from you. Now, I know means of communication have changed, and, and, and nowadays we, we text more than we, we call on the phone. But I can remember when I was growing up, and the phone would ring, and nine times out of ten, probably more than nine times out of ten, it was for dad or for mom. But sometimes dad or mom would answer the phone, and they'd say, Greg, it's for you. Really? As a seven-year-old boy, it's for me? Somebody wants to talk to me? Now, it's not just some person who desires to talk with you, but it's God. The God who is eternal. The God who is infinite. The God who created all things. The God who sustains all things. The God who is absolutely holy and majestic comes to each one of you. And in essence, he says, I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you. I want you to make your needs known to me. And so, in light of this obedience and loving relationship, God especially wants us to say thank you to him. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17 and 18 gives this instruction, pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Boys and girls, I trust that your, your dad and your mom, maybe with the input of your grandpa and grandma and your teachers, they, they, they instruct you on how to say thank you. So your mom makes you a nice dinner. And after you've taken and you've eaten, and it's a good dinner, you've been taught to say thank you. And to other people also, you say thank you. You drop something, someone picks it up for you, you say thank you. Well, our God gives us everything we need. He loves us, He protects us, He provides for us. And he just simply wants to hear us say, thank you. Thank you for health. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for daily bread. Thank you for life. Why should we pray? In part, because we have this relationship with God. But also, because we have a need for grace. What is grace? We use that word a lot, but what exactly is grace? Grace, of course, is a gift of God, but it is also a spiritual power, a spiritual power that is an enabling power. And grace enables us to live spiritual life in covenantal fellowship with God. Uh, grace, you might say, is, is the heartbeat uh, that produces the exercises of faith and the exercises of repentance, also the, the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, etc. 
And as Christians, we need, we need, we desperately need grace. And, and God is a God who in His wisdom has connected certain ends to certain means. So God is the giver of grace, and He gives that grace freely. It's not as if we can earn that grace. It's not as if we pay for that grace. It's not as if we deserve that grace. Grace is unmerited. Grace is undeserved. And yet God has been pleased to connect, to put together His giving of grace to the exercise of prayer in which we ask for that grace. So just like sometimes... And boys again and girls, go back to the, the, the meal your mother has prepared for you. Right? She, may, she may put a plate of your favorite food on, on the table, and, and as she's scooping out the portions, uh, she may say, do you want some of this food? And, and you might be going, well, of course I want some of that food. And, and your mom, she knows you, you need that food, and she knows that you want that food, and yet she still ask you, do you want some of this? And when you say, yes, please, she puts it on your plate. So God comes with an abundance of grace, but He wants to hear us ask, Lord, give me grace. Because he has connected these two together, our request for grace to his distribution of grace. And the distribution of grace is connected, especially to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given in his great exercises of comfort, the exercises of His sanctifying influence, the Holy Spirit is given in response to those who come and earnestly request the Holy Spirit. That's the point of what Jesus is saying in the latter part of the text that we read. This illustration of a friend coming to another friend late at night, you know, before you had the supermarkets that would be, would be open, before you could just go to Walmart and buy an extra loaf of bread. I hear the friend has an unexpected visitor come late at night, and he's in need of sustenance for them. And so he goes to a friend, and he knocks on the door, and he asks, give me three loaves of bread. And the Lord argues from the luster of the grave. He says, well, your, your friend will do that because he's your friend. But even if he wouldn't, if you come and you continue to knock, and you continue to ask, and you beg, and you plead, and you implore, eventually your friend will be motivated to give you that which you desire, that which you need, that which you request. And the point is, when we come and when we implore, when we request, when we beg of the Lord, Lord, give me your Holy Spirit in full measure, in great measure, then the Lord is pleased to pour out the Holy Spirit. And this can be applied to our own personal lives, uh, to our families, but also to us as a church. And so I just ask one question for reflection. In all that we do as a church, is there this continued note of begging, Lord, give us the Holy Spirit? to grant spiritual maturity, 
to grant the fruit of the Spirit, to grant wisdom, to grant understanding. The Lord is pleased to give to those who ask. So why should we pray? Because we have a unique relationship to the Lord and we need His grace. Well, how then do we pray? That's our second point, the criteria for prayer, and I want to offer a word of encouragement, especially to, again to the young members of this church. Prayer is simple. Isn't it remarkable that when the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray, he doesn't write a 1,500-page book filled with obscure theological words. He doesn't even really have uh, intense logical arguments. He gives a wonderfully brief and concise sample prayer. The Lord is a wonderful teacher. He says, you want to know how to pray? Watch and listen. And he shows. This is how you are to pray. Now, based upon that model prayer, we can identify that the, the first thing that is necessary for true prayer is just simple sincerity. We need to know God. We need to know the true God. And as our knowledge begins to develop, we need to know the triune God. We don't just pray like a shot in the dark, like some Hail Mary thrown up to some unknown great deity in the sky. And so many of what we're going to say tonight will be unfolded in more detail in the weeks that are to come. Uh, but notice how our Lord encourages us to begin our prayer. Our Father. Knowing something about God. Knowing something about His, His nature. About who He is. Not only must there be a sincere knowledge of God, there must be a sincere call to God, a genuine asking. Prayer ought not just be the reciting of words. Prayer ought not just be a going through the motions, the vain repetition of a formula that perhaps we have exercised for decades. Prayer must be a sincere expression of the desire of our hearts. It's a most intimate dialogue, a closest relationship with the God of heaven and the God of earth. And now sincerity can also be expressed even if there is a fumbling with words. Even if the desire of our heart expresses itself with maybe the word that's not the best word. You know, and I say this for the encouragement of, of all of us, but sometimes individuals can be hesitant to pray because they don't think that they'll find the right words. Now, yes, words have meaning and words are important, but the Lord doesn't say, this is the acceptable prayer to me. If you have all of the right words, and if you thread them together uh, with a beautiful chain of vocabulary, 
Then I will be pleased with your oratorical skills. And then from heaven I will hear and I will answer. Simplicity. Sincerity. And so, boys and girls and young people, maybe sometimes you go, I don't really know how to say this to God. Just say it the best you can. Because there's also something that happens. The Holy Spirit, and the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. Right alongside of us. And the Holy Spirit also helps us to pray. And then there is our high priest, Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. So if you think of our prayers, beginning in the desires of our heart, coming to the expression and the thoughts of our mind and the words of our mouths and, and coming forth with many weaknesses. We don't pick the right words. We don't say it as smoothly as we would have desired. We trip up. We, we stumble. We, we stutter. We stammer. But the Holy Spirit is right alongside of us, perfecting our prayers, cleaning them up, if you will, and, and then presenting them to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father, who's always there interceding on our behalf. And so the prayer comes from us, but it comes through the Spirit, and it comes through the Son of God to the Heavenly Father. So you don't have to find the exact right word. The Spirit and the Son if I can say this respectfully, they will find the exact right words. You need to just come with sincerity. And also faith. Sincerity and faith. A faith is a certain confidence, a certain belief, a certain trust. And this faith is based on Jesus Christ. Many of us have a practice although it doesn't have to be included in every prayer. You notice that it's not included in the model prayer. We, we have this practice of finishing our prayers by saying something along the lines of, for Jesus' sake, amen, or in Jesus' name, amen. Why do we include that? And again, I say it's not absolutely necessary, but it's because of this that our prayers, they're, they're not based on even our own ability to pray. But they're based upon the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, don't, we don't finish our prayer and say, Heavenly Father, hear my prayer because it was a really good prayer. I waxed eloquently there. I gave a good expression of my biblical knowledge. I even dribbled in uh, a few references to text of Scripture. And I had sound theology throughout it was Louis Burkhoff, systematic theology that had woven itself into my articulation of my thanksgiving and my petitions. No, that's not how we conclude our prayers. At least it shouldn't be. 
And it certainly shouldn't be, Lord, hear my prayer because I'm much more eloquent than my fellow saint. If that thought ever arises in our hearts, we must be warned of a proud arrogance. Never mock someone for their prayer. Remember the prayer of the repentant thief. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Was his prayer heard? Was his prayer answered? Absolutely. Did he have a full, robust theological knowledge? No. But he had faith. He had faith in the person of Jesus Christ. He acknowledged him to be Lord. He acknowledged him to be king. And he cried out with sincere faith. A faith that is motivated also by the recognition of our need. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain grace in time of need. So God, I just want to plead with you. Don't overcomplicate prayer. Don't make it harder than it is. Because you know what happens sometimes when you make something harder than it is? You don't do it. You can overthink things. And you can overthink prayer. You can think, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to approach. I don't know how to begin. Just begin. Just pray. Well, what should I pray for? Uh, that brings us into our third point, the objects in prayer. And, and here again, you'll notice, of course, there are the petitions that follow, and there are the Lord's Days that follow, where we'll deal with more detail about which petition and what it includes and what we ought to pray for. So we're going to be just kind of flying over uh, these matters. But the first thing we want to say about the objects in prayer is be comprehensive. Pray about everything. About everything. Recognizing that all comes from God. So in our physical lives and in our spiritual lives, and of course that's not a hard dichotomy, it's not that we have our physical life over here and then our spiritual life over here. But notice how simple these petitions are. But also how comprehensive they are. There's not a single matter in life that you can't bring to the Lord in prayer. There, there's nothing in your life that's irrelevant to the Lord. You know, sometimes in our conversations one with another, we might think, well, well that matter's too trivial to bring up. Sometimes, and maybe this is true for some people more than others, you know, sometimes we go into the doctor for our annual physical checkup, and, and we might say, maybe this is more something that the men wrestle with, we might say, ah, that slight pain that I felt a couple weeks ago, that's too small of a matter, I'm not going to mention that. 
uh, or this symptom that I've kind of been thinking that perhaps I'm having. I'm not going to mention that. And in part, that's why the Lord gives many of us wives so they can remind us, tell the doctor about that. Make sure you mention that. In fact, my own primary care physician, when I go in for the annual checkup, he asked me the last question is, there anything that your wife told you to talk to me about today? There's nothing too trivial to mention to the Lord in prayer, no matter too small. Boys and girls, maybe you have something going on at school. You think, ah, does God really want to hear about that? I'll tell you the answer, he does. And I'll tell you also, he has the time to hear about it. You know, sometimes you may try to talk with dad or mom, and they're busy. And so you say, ah, I'm not going to bother them. I'm not going to take up their time. God is infinite. I know that's a big theological word, but one of the practical implications from that is God is never too busy to hear of even the smallest matter in your life. So pray for everything. Everything in life. But we should probably qualify that with necessity. Because prayer is not like the making of a wish list. You know, we're coming up to the Christmas season and maybe, boys and girls, you've been told to make a Christmas wish list. Maybe you go, oh, boy, and, and maybe your list includes all kinds of things that you want. Well, our requests to God are especially to focus on the things that we need, the things that we need. And what do we need? This is not exhaustive, but these are a few of the most basic things that we need. We need our daily bread. We need food. We need clothing. We need shelter. So pray for those things. We need the forgiveness of sins. So pray for that. We need faith. We need repentance. We need the kingdom of God. We need the kingdom of God to come in our hearts. We need the kingdom of God to come and grow in the heart of Covenant Reformed Church. We need the kingdom of God to grow and increase in this world. So pray for these things that are necessary. Your daily bread, the forgiveness of sins, and the advancement of the kingdom of God. And as a closing motivation for prayer, let me remind you, knowing about prayer in and of itself is not sufficient. It's the actual practice of prayer. You can see how this works in a relationship. If I, if I were to say to my wife, well, well, I know how to talk to you, does that suffice as a substitute for actually talking to her? 
No. Now, knowing how to talk to her, it has to produce an actual talking to her. So knowing how to pray, let us then pray. Pray consistently, pray fervently, but also pray with a certain simplicity, knowing that our Father delights to hear us. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of prayer. We simply ask tonight that you would teach us how to pray. Teach the, the young boys and the girls, along with the, the teenagers and the young adults and all of those different transitional seasons of life, teach them how to pray. And teach those who find themselves weighed down with the responsibilities of the middle years, with busy families, with full schedules, with many responsibilities and commitments. Teach them in those busy seasons of life how to pray. And Lord, and we come to the mature years with the unique trials of that stage of life, uh, when perhaps there are weaknesses in the flesh, perhaps also the experiences of the evenings of life, Lord, teach us how to pray. And we thank you that you always hear us when we pray, not because of who we are in and of ourselves, and certainly not because of the way that we formulate our words. But we thank you that you hear us for the sake of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.